1: Across
2: the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Women's Football Weekly with Faker others on Talk Sport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League.
3: Cleaned off the line by Steph Horton.
2: The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers.
3: Lana Cullen striking from outside the penalty area.
2: World beating, big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with her Others on TalkSport 2. Well,
4: hello. It's the end of the season. How has that come about so quickly? Very, very warm welcome to you to Women's Football Weekly here on Monday evening. And just for you, it's a two-hour special. To strap yourselves in because you're going to need it. It was an absolutely fantastic weekend of football, wasn't it? Just especially that final day of Gold Fest at King's Meadows. Chelsea held their nerve to be crowned champions.
5: Madeleine Eriksson, Chelsea captain, grabs the trophy now to lift it into the air. Chelsea lift the title at King's Meadow, richly deserved
4: richly deserved indeed but Manchester City missed two penalties but they did get the job done at West Ham although it's not enough to take the title
6: First mistake she's made today could it be costly yes it is Ellen White puts it in the back of the net
4: Manchester City finally get on the score sheet there's no great escape for Bristol City though as they're relegated after defeat to Brighton.
3: Bristol City relegated. It finishes at the People's Pension Stadium. Brighton have Albion three. Bristol City one.
4: All that plus we'll preview the Champions League final and look back at 50 years of the Women's FA Cup. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers.
7: Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport 2.
4: Hello team, how you doing? Sorry for the little waffle earlier on at the top. We were just waiting for the audio. So I was just styling it out. Molly Hudson, what did you think? Lovely. (laughs) Really? Not quite sure about that. Molly Hudson from The Times with us for the full two hours. And I know this is gonna mean nothing to you out there, but believe me, it means everything to me. Molly Hudson is in the studio with me. It's been months and months since I actually saw you face to face and not on a Zoom. How are you? Amazing. There's no delay.
8: I can see you. I can hear what you're saying. Incredible. It might might make us make more sense, might it? It might.
4: I I won't have to say, Molly has a question, don't you, Molly? Brilliant. Lovely stuff. Listen, we're going to be rejoined by a revolving cast as well throughout the next two hours. We'll hear from Chelsea manager Emma Hayes and her goalkeeper, this season's Golden Glove winner anne Catherine Berger. Manchester City boss Gareth Taylor joins us live later in the show. Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk and Crystal Palace keeper Chloe Morgan are with us as well. So it's a packed show, but there is only one place to start and that is with the newly crowned champions
0: chelsea carter then to take the corner Paul hit it and what a start the champions in front with just over a minute gone at king's meadow as kerr looks to get in behind here and Kirby. well how out that those two should link up on the final day of the season it's the 50th goal that they've scored between them this season Kerr to Kirby. All smiles from Emma Hayes. Kerr. Kirby's arriving in support, so is Pernilla Harder. No surprise that Kerr looks for Kirby. Another one for Frank Kirby. Another one set up by Sam Kerr. And surely now the champions have sealed the deal. Kirby with the ball up towards Kerr. It's just ridiculous how many times these two link up. A telepathic understanding. And Sam Kerr, the WSL's top scorer, surely will seal the golden boot today. And it just gets better and better. Good save, but Cuthbert's there to try and turn it in. And has it gone over the line? It has. It's Erin Cuthbert now who comes off the bench to add the fifth at King's Meadow. Champions. It's back-to-back league titles for Emma Hayes's Chelsea. A team with trophy tunnel vision, serial winners, mentality monsters. Only the second club ever to win the WSL two seasons running. They are England's best again. game. Fran Kirby, the player of the match. Two goals for her. Roy Pauls, Kerr and Cuthbert with the others. Now Chelsea can focus on becoming champions of Europe for the first time. I think
2: knowing you're coming into the last game, it's in your hands. It's the only place you want to be. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be in an, an, another team's dressing room hoping someone slips up. Like, that. that's why we are the dominant side. the whole season and my team are show so many sides again and again and again, and today again, another brilliant result. And, great
4: strength in depth and no doubt my favourite title today I love that no doubt my favourite title says Emma Hayes commentary there from the wonderful Adam Summerton as well I loved the mentality monsters Molly Hudson and they have been because you need the kind of mental strength that Chelsea have had this season and last to do what they've done and they're halfway towards the quadruple
8: I think it's even more mental strength than ever. Actually, when you consider the the backdrop of this season in the wider pandemic, and you actually think of some of the players that haven't been home even to see their families in a year, it's almost like that Chelsea team have become a family. They've become each other's family. You know, some of them live together and they're seeing each other every day, and it's just it does seem to have made them even stronger and particularly one of the, the biggest strengths that I'm sure we'll get on to later of Chelsea is is that squad depth and the way that everyone has has really chipped into this success regardless of how many playing playing minutes they might have had.
4: Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, Melanie Leopold's scoring in the first minute as well gave everybody standing up to attention. It came straight to Manchester City. They knew straight away, didn't they, at West Ham, what, what was going on. But what a lovely take and goal.
8: It stopped us worrying, we was at the wrong game, to be honest. we was all all had a bit of fear that Chelsea might might end up losing, and we'd all be there and um it would be Manchester City lifting the the trophy, but yeah, it was just a a class goal from a player that actually is is I think one of the underrated players in that Chelsea team. She obviously was a new signing and has just come on and really elevated the levels both both in training and on the pitch.
4: we need to talk about Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr. I loved your tweet earlier on, by the way. If you've not seen it, I retweeted it out earlier on. Uh, Molly said, and, and really doesn't work on radio because it still sounds like the same person, but for Ballon d'Or, it should be Kerr, as in K-E-R-R-B-Y. So a different kind of Kirby. Does that mean you can't choose between the two for Ballon d'Or?
8: They've been pretty good, haven't they? Um, and I think... It- it's almost the combination that they've made each other better speaking to Sam Kerr I think she'll say that playing with somebody like Fran and, and vice versa they're both so unselfish despite having this incredible talent and the combination of the two of them has just you know it has it has elevated Chelsea to new levels and with Fran Kirby being out last season with, with the heart condition that she had she didn't really get to gel with Sam and is it a coincidence that Sam also struggled more last season. She's really exploded this year. I think the two of them combined are just incredible. And if I had to pick one, I'd pick Fran, I think, just because of everything that she's been through. And it's so lovely to watch her thrive the way she is. But but Sam Kerr has, has been incredible as well. They've
4: given each other confidence, I feel, particularly when you think early on in the season, Sam Kerr was guessing opportunities, but just not scoring them. Um, obviously, you've mentioned what, what Fran's been through over the last year or so as well but it feels as if they trust each other implicitly and then that is just making them more and more confident I almost don't I mean luckily we've got a Champions League final which is by the way live on Talk Sport on Sunday night uh, kickoff at eight o'clock and we've got build-up from seven um, but we've got that to look forward to at least because I don't want to stop with this momentum I don't want to stop watching them play.
8: Yeah, it's just so natural. I think whenever any of them gets the ball, you just, particularly you can see when you're watching them live, obviously we're lucky enough to, to be in the press box actually to get to see them. Um, you, you just see the runs that they make and it's not just the goals and the assists that they've got, it's that communication they have without even having to say too much. I think whenever Sam or Fran get the ball, they just know that the other one is making that run, which must be so good to have that option when you're on the ball, knowing that somebody is always taking the defence away and any defender is going to be pretty scared of that Sam Kerr and Frank Herbie combination because they've just been so, so clinical this season. I suppose that was the the thing with the squad is that players like Erin Cuthbert, who were so incredible last season, haven't always started games, but they just bring that energy and that you know that talent that she clearly has off the bench and that's what makes it so good that they're all a team and they all want each other to do well and I think that's really come across throughout the whole season
4: yeah and you could tell that when you saw all the celebrations on Instagram as well did you spot G doing
8: karaoke brilliant they looked like they was having a whale of a time
4: didn't they just see you can still celebrate even even in Covid times and I'm sure once all the restrictions finally lift there'll be even more celebrations and fingers crossed for Chelsea they can have even double celebrations come Sunday night um earlier on producer Flo caught up with Anne Katrin Berger to ask how exactly those celebrations were
5: Anne firstly I saw some Instagram videos yesterday of I think G doing some karaoke did you join in in any of that or were you were just in the background in the audience
2: <laughs> um I'm quite uh in the background person um I I celebrate her, yeah, of course, because that was a performance I never saw before. Um, but yeah, like a goalkeeper, I'm just in the background and enjoy.
5: And what did she sing? Because I I can't remember. I think yeah, I can't remember. If it's on Sam Kerr's Instagram, but we only caught the last of it. What was her song of choice?
2: We don't
5: know. <laughs> what it was just noise.
2: Literally, have no idea what she was singing.
4: <laughs> Isn't that every single karaoke uh, club ever? Uh, what is your karaoke song of choice, Molly Hudson?
8: I'm not sure I can remember it. has been that long since we've done karaoke. Can you, can you remember when we used to be in a bar doing karaoke? I, I, I almost miss it. Not quite.
4: I, I, I don't. I did uh, karaoke with my mum once on holiday a very, very long time ago. My mum can sing. I cannot. And we chose to do, or my mum chose to do, whams, wake me up before you go-go. At which point, when you hit that high, I stepped well away from the mic and just let my (laughs) mum take over. No one needed to hear that. Uh, Right, I'll tell you who we do need to hear from, though. It's Emma Hayes, the Chelsea manager, and how she wanted to celebrate.
2: I woke up this morning feeling so bad of how little I'd seen my little boy because of what I had to do here. And the last words he said to me when I walked out the door was, mummy bring a medal home for me today. So that's what I'm doing. I'll probably have something to eat with the team next door and I'm gonna go home and spend much valuable time with my child because he's not gonna see much of mummy this week because she's gonna be away three nights from Friday. so quality time
4: where it matters. Yeah. Oh, bless her son, Harry, is so cute. And I saw her a post-match interview uh, with the television uh, cameras and the medal, obviously, with Women's Super League. It looks like Superman. And she said Harry was going to love that. Bit of a frustrating day and disappointing for Farrah Williams, although memorable, but on the end of a 5-0 defeat um, for, for Reading and her first ever, F- um, her last ever WSL game before she retires. Uh, she's part of our commentary team, by the way, uh, for the Champions League final on Sunday. Um, so she's not going too far, don't worry. She'll be across our radios uh, plenty. I'm sure. She was presented with some flowers and a Chelsea shirt as well ahead of the game, which was just a lovely moment.
8: Yeah, it was a really nice touch from Emma Hayes, who clearly holds her in really high regard and understands just how much she's done for the game, as Hayes has herself Um and I think even watching Farrah yesterday, maybe it didn't come across on, on the T V cameras, but watching her in person again, you know, she might she might not have the pace that she once had, but you could see her drop back, reading the game and spraying those passes that we know, you know, she, she hasn't lost that. And I think she she turned down offers to, to stay in the game, to choose to retire at the end of the season and she's she's still a, a really class player.
4: Yeah, I think um, I, I spoke to her on text earlier on today and just said I hope she en- enjoyed the day uh, despite the fact that, that they lost which which she certainly did um, By the way, just as a reminder again, I'm going to keep plugging this throughout the show and you're going to think I'm really boring but we're delighted that we've got the rights uh, for the Women's Champions League final on Sunday We've got live commentary It's between Chelsea and Barcelona as you know It's over on Talk Sport with myself Courtney Sweetman-Kirk who's coming up shortly on the show, Farrah williams herself and sam matterface too so make sure you join us the build-up starts from seven o'clock and the game kicks off at eight as well right you're listening to women's football weekly on talk sport 2 i'm faker others alongside molly hudson from the tines and coming up we're going to round up the rest of the weekend's Zach,
0: hey
1: it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget
4: This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm faker others. Molly Hudson from The Times is with me today as well. And don't forget, if you miss any of our shows or you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app so you can download it today. Now then, West Ham nil, Manchester City 1 and Manchester City knew what was going on at King's Meadow throughout... They had to win and hope that Chelsea dropped points against Reading, but the Chelsea uh, steam train just kept on going. I'm delighted to say that Manchester City boss Gareth Taylor is with us to discuss this. How are you doing, Gareth?
9: Hi, Faye. You okay?
4: Yeah, really well, thank you. I'm with Molly Hudson from The Times as well. It's obviously been a disappointing end to the season, but bearing in mind this is your first season in charge of Manchester City, what's your, your overall view of how it's gone?
9: Um, I think you know there's been some positives. I think you know we we ran a really good Chelsea team um, that performed well in, you know in multiple competitions this season. Really close, took it to the final game, um, and I think you know when when we assessed the whole season, having won a trophy early on, I think we won the first trophy that was available, the FA Cup, which was which was great for the club, um, and then in the other three competitions, I think you know getting to a quarter final of the Champions League, we came up against a good Barcelona team but again you know i think we've learnt a lot from that experience and we feel that we can we can go further um the continental cup which chelsea won you know we were seconds away from beating them in the, in the quarter final and i think really with with all due respect to the other teams that whoever won that game was going to win the trophy uh, and that's what happened and then obviously with the WSL you know we we gave away a few points early on in the in the season because you know we were going through a a transitional period, a new coach coming in, new players. Our squad was still growing. There was players who had kind of duties elsewhere, and and we didn't get them until quite late. And then I think we really saw the kind of the quality from the team and the, the the performances that we put together, especially the football we played from October onwards. You know, we we were undefeated in the WSL. So I think there's been some real positives, and you know, I think we're really uh, still a work in progress, but. Um, I'm really excited about what's, what's next, if I'm honest.
8: And obviously it will be a, a busy summer for some of your players um, at the Olympics, but how excited are you to actually have that period of pre-season? Because I suppose to get only two points behind Chelsea, who have obviously kind of been all-conquering in all of the competitions, to get that close to them without that training, how excited are you to to actually have that period to really build and kind of fly into the season?
9: Yeah, I'm hoping to, but, you know, I think... We're expecting a lot of our our players to be at the Olympics um, in our current squad, so actually our preseason is going to be a little bit disjointed. I think our players once they return, the Olympics finishes on August the eighth. Um, I think we've we play a, a Champions League qualifier at the end of August, so there isn't really that kind of time. I'm going to be working with small numbers in preseason, kind of get players coming back late from the Olympics. It's not ideal, but I think having had that kind of way of working and and learning about a new method Um, and certainly for the players that we'll retain for next season they would have been better off for for that kind of experience and um, yeah I think the following season is going to be the same with the Euros, it just doesn't seem to be that kind of um, opportunity to get a real consistent pre-season just for, for numerous competitions but again it's the same for everyone, we'll probably be punished a little bit more in that respect of Probably more Man City players will hopefully be at the Olympics um, and we'll find that in the next few days, who you know, who those players are likely to be. But, um, yeah, again, it's been, I think I was talking about this over the weekend, but it's been such a difficult season for any professional player. Um, and, and again, don't get me wrong, we're very, very fortunate that in this difficult pandemic that we were able to kind of have some sort of... Uh, normality with our jobs but it's been so difficult for the players the amount of of kind of pressure that they've been under to perform um and obviously not having the supporters there and we experienced that at Wembley it was a strange kind of feeling winning a trophy at Wembley but not having a having the supporters and our families there um so it's been a real tough kind of 18 months um and hopefully fair times are around the corner
4: Yeah, well, we've just heard some news actually from the Premier League that uh, supporters, a small number of supporters will be allowed in the games from Monday the 17th of May, which we were hoping for, but it has now been confirmed. And hopefully that's going to mean good news come the start of the FAWSL uh, season again. Um, One of the players that we know is not going to be part of the Olympic team, um, unfortunately, is Chloe Kelly after sustaining an ACL injury in her right knee last week. How, How is she doing?
9: Yeah, Chloe's, you know, she's she's got a smile on her face, believe it or not. I mean, I think she she got over it pretty quickly. I mean, that is not a thing that you get over straight away. She'll have a good moments, bad moments. Um, you know, I had that injury myself, so I've had, you know, a few conversations with her already. And we're trying to support her as best we can. She goes in for her operation this week, which is great. Um, but like you say, she's been amazing this season. Great person to work with unbelievable work ethic and she's improved so much Um, her consistency from you know the first minute in the WSL this season so when she did that injury has been phenomenal and for me she's Right up there as player of the season because I think she really set the league alight
4: Yeah she certainly did she's been a joy to watch it's been great as well though having uh, two World Cup winners in your squad in terms of Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle maybe the best less said about the penalties yesterday uh, from both of them the better but, but what exactly is, is the latest with what they're doing?
9: Well they'll obviously pre- uh, be preparing for the for the Olympics. Once we you know, we finish off our season, which is um, you know, we've got an FA Cup match against West Ham again at the C F A next Sunday and again that's a good opportunity for us. Um we're looking forward to it and we when we restart next season we wanna be in the uh hopefully in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup again. Um but yeah, you know, that I think there's gonna be lots of kind of um comings and goings in the WSL. I think it's been exciting this season to see not just, you know, um us signing world cup winners but you've seen it happen at man united as well so i think it's uh it's always changing and you know players now all across the world seem to be looking at the wsl as being one of the strongest leagues in the world and i think we'll see uh we'll see a continuation of that if you like
4: well swerved, by the way. <laughs> very well swerved. Uh, well, listen, we're we're very much looking forward to what you're going to do uh, next season. Just one final question from me, and and that's purely just. You've seen the competitiveness of the FAWSL this season you and Chelsea in particular but those teams coming up behind you are also going to be rebuilding over the summer how are you seeing it playing out next season can you see five six teams pushing for the title
9: potentially i think with the the kind of setup of the league it's very difficult um to to kind of get uh this i don't know unpredictability I think you know a lot of the teams down the I heard a stat the other day that I think the four or five teams down the bottom never took any points off of the mm. off the top four teams so it, I, I mean I've always spoken about potentially adding more teams to the WSL and then I think it creates this real excitement and I think it was an exciting league this season don't get me wrong I think you know with the amount of new players that came into it and you know teams were doing well early on in the season the likes of Everton likes of Arsenal likes of Man United um and and sometimes the the table wasn't a true reflection because there were teams that had games in hand etc. and and we didn't make a great start. So I think it's um, when you're ready to play in 22 games, it's very very difficult to to uh, be as consistent as you as you need to be to win the league. And you know from like I say from October onwards, we we were pretty faultless. And I think that it. The excitement side of it is very difficult when you've just got to be relentless in everything that you Mm. do. So I think the nature of the setup of the league, unfortunately, it'll probably always be a team that wins it by five or six points or maybe two teams. But I think it'd be very difficult for four or five teams to be really fighting it out. So um, unless that kind of changes and the the league grows where we get a few more games. And I think you've seen it with our men's team this season. You know, they're in unbelievable uh, position, looking like they're... They're going to win the league, hopefully, on Friday night. Um, But, you know, lost games this season early on and and still went on a a brilliant run that pushed them way beyond everybody else. So I think uh, more games, I think, 22 games is is quite tight and you have to be really, really consistent and there's no margin for error.
4: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you and and maybe with the new broadcasting deal coming in we could potentially get an extension of the league which would be really exciting particularly when you see so many more teams becoming professional. Listen, Gareth, it's been a pleasure and thank you for all the entertainment your side have given us this season. I know you've still got one game left to play next week. Good luck for that Uh, but certainly with regard to the Barclays FAWSL, you've been a delight to watch and well done on your first season in charge.
9: Thank you, Faye. Thanks, ta- Molly.
4: Take ta- care. Speak to you soon. Gareth Taylor, there, Manchester City uh, boss. Uh, great to have a chat with him. They finished second in the end, but they pushed Chelsea all the way. Looking forward to seeing what they can do next season. Right, this is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with Faye Carruthers and Molly Hudson from The Times. Next up, we're going to look at how things finished at the bottom of the table.
2: Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on Talksport 2.
4: You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. I'm Faker Others alongside the Times football writer Molly Hudson. Now then there was a lot of stake at the bottom of the table yesterday. One team would go down and there were three teams fighting to make it.
3: Bristol City needing all three points to even be with a, with a chance of survival. He returns it to Cagma, it's a decent looking cross, Bagley's there, and it's turned in, inside the six yard area, by Maya Leticia. Well, what a season she's had. But for Bristol City, that's a huge setback, and they'll have to come from behind. Another good looking cross, in came Koi Bisto, and now Li Min, in off the crossbar. Three goals in two for Li Min, and for Bristol City, it's a real uphill battle now. They've made the worst possible start to the second half. Lofted cross, Daniels lurking back across goal. Abby Harrison's there, it's in. It. And Bristol City have half the deficit. Abby Harrison off the bench has her first goal since October. And there is life in this Bristol City side still. Tottenham play it through midfield. Quick pass to Graham. Graham turns it onto a left boot and gets it past Hannah Hampton. And
8: Tottenham take the lead.
3: Well, huge goal in the Midlands. Birmingham 0, Tottenham 1, which means that for the first time this afternoon, if Bristol City are to turn this game around, it would be enough to see them survive. With a thought, if this goes in, it'll be Bristol City all but relegated. And it goes from Cagman, deflected in. Brighton restore their two-goal lead. And is that the final nail of the coffin for Bristol City? Well, a free kick took a wicked deflection, but Bristol City are back to needing three goals.
10: Has finished. Arsenal nil,
3: Aston Villa nil, Aston Villa stay in the Barclays FA WSL. Bristol City relegated. It finishes at the People's Pension Stadium. Brighton have Havobian three, Bristol City one.
4: Oh, sadly, after such an inspiring run towards safety, it was Bristol City who went down in the end after that 3-1 defeat to Brighton. Aston Villa grabbed a point against Arsenal and Birmingham, hung on via goal difference after a 1-0 defeat to Spurs. Uh, the team obviously disappointed, but with regard to Bristol City, a few comments I just want to make because I don't think people quite understand exactly the kind of circumstances that they've been operating under it's been extremely difficult for them as I understand it they were already you know pretty much punching way above their weight to even have taken it to, to the last day of the season bearing in mind what they've had to to deal with and we've all heard about the difficulties at Birmingham this season and the substandard conditions that the players have had at their disposal and and I understand that things were just as difficult if not more so at Bristol, which has largely gone under the radar. Uh, No surprise that with the upturn in results from January, that happens to be exactly when they were finally given somewhere to train indoors. Uh, Previously, they had absolutely nowhere, and that's just not acceptable, Molly.
8: I think it just shows the kind of chasm between resources in this division. You know, you, you speak to Gareth Taylor earlier on in the show and and talks about the fact that it can be difficult to get that competitiveness in this league and how can a team like bristol when you're talking about literally not having the resources and and not having the the facilities that you might imagine are a bare minimum for a professional side in a professional league to then go and compete against you know a team like say manchester city that have an entire city football academy you know campus that they share and essentially have the same access to facilities as the men's team and obviously that's a big disparity and there are teams that fall in between that but it it just goes to show how well Bristol have done as you say to actually get it get to the last day you know two wins from their last 22 league games conceded 72 goals 25 more than anyone else so to only go down you know considering they could have won yesterday and possibly stayed up is a real credit to those players, to Tanya Oxby and and for Matt Beard, who did an incredible job when when he came in on on maternity cover. Yeah, with two
4: hands tied behind your back, what do you do? And, you know, they thrived uh, and the players have thrived as well. But I want to pick up on the two phrases that you mentioned there, professional club in a professional league. And the standards that we've seen in the FAWSL at some of the clubs, from what we're hearing anecdotally, is just not good enough. And at some point somebody has to step in and say these are the minimum standards that you have to adhere to to be part of this league
8: i think when when you imagine when you're growing up or what young girls might imagine growing up the reality of being a professional footballer probably isn't what you might imagine some of those players at the bottom end of the women's super league currently experiencing you know there's been been stories of having to you know, access gym treatments in, in tents and, you know, it hasn't, hasn't been anywhere near the standards that the players deserve. And I think it, it just goes to show that, yes, we do have a professional league, but the, the levels of professionalism can vary so much. And I think for me, I've always said that the bare minimum, there has to be a minimum requirement and that bare minimum has to go up because it's not enough to just have the top go up. And I think Emma Hayes, um, the Chelsea manager, has always made this point that the top will drag up the bottom, but we really do need to see that now because it's just not fair on these players to have to contend with things like that when they're playing teams. We've got a you know a brand new broadcast deal and it's live on Sky Sports, and every one of their decisions will be analysed and criticised and a lot of people watching or listening may not know that context Mm -hmm. may not know what these players are having to contend with on a day-to-day basis just to be a professional footballer and the reality is there are players, there are women's footballers in the championship that are more than capable of playing at a level to play in the Women's Super League and they're just not willing to give up their day jobs because the level of professionalism just isn't enough and for me if we want the best product the best Women's Super League, we want all of those players, we want to be able to Sell them this dream of being a professional footballer and it be financially viable for it to be stable. We don't just want these players to to have a career, get by on the very bare minimum and then finish their career and they have nothing to fall back on. We don't want to be in that situation. And clubs
4: who want a piece of the pie... Because with this broadcast deal, there will be plenty of club owners thinking, I want a piece of that pie when I can. You have to give back into the game in order to do that. You have to bring things up to a level. What I love about the new visibility that women's football is finally getting, and not to blow our own trumpet, but here at Women's Football Weekly, we will expose these things that aren't good enough. We will say... When there are substandard conditions that people are having to play and work under, it's not acceptable anymore. Sky Sports News, the BBC, we're all there shining a light on it. Now, we can shine a very positive light on it, which we always try to do because we love this game. But if anything is below par, we will shine a light on that as well and affect change because that's what needs to happen We talked about Birmingham. Um, In fact, I'll tell you what I want to touch on before we go to Birmingham is Ebony Salmon because that's not a player that's going to end up in the the Championship for sure. She is out of contract. She's going to get picked up by another FAWSL club, isn't she? Where do you think she's going?
8: That's the million-dollar question you've just thrown at me there. Um, Look, I think... What has been really nice to see with Ebony Salmon is she made that move to Manchester United, you know, a, a few seasons ago, and it didn't quite work out. And sh- she's been at Bristol City, and she's really developed, and she has become a star in that team. And you're right, I think that won't have gone unnoticed. I think it, certainly, if you speak to Manchester United fans, they'd be more than happy to have her back now. I think they're quite disappointed, maybe, that that she left the club. Um, which was totally understandable at the time. But I think, you know, a lot of other clubs will also be looking, you, you look at Manchester City, have have they needed another striker perhaps? They've got Ellen White, but Ebony Samuel is a very different sort of striker and obviously they lost Pauline Bremer this season. So maybe have a vacancy in that area. Obviously they've been linked with Bunny Shaw, so I think it's, there's a lot of teams that will certainly be interested in keeping a close eye on her and certainly wouldn't expect her to to see her lining up in the championship next season.
4: Yeah, we've spoken about at length about the conditions at, at, at Birmingham City. Uh, Carla Ward's been on uh, the show as well talking about the difficulties they've had this season. Um and you know, at, at the end of the day, it wasn't in the end a, a great end to the season for them, but they they stayed up. By the by, the skin of their teeth, really. Uh, but something needs to change at, at that club if they're going to try and compete next season. Otherwise, you know, if they don't try and invest, we've seen what's happened to their to their men's side, and potentially could have happened to their men's side. They've got to start turning this around if they want to stay in this league next season.
8: I think it's it's so so difficult because if they had have gone down this weekend do we realistically think they would have ever been able to come back up to the women's super league not
4: is, not at the moment no
8: which is so sad when you consider the the history that Birmingham City have in the women's game and they've always been you know one of the leading clubs and have had some incredible players play for them and i think what is important is that it has to change carla ward has done an incredible incredible mm-hmm. job i can't you know overstate how good she and the players have been this season to to simply get out on the pitch and play and kind of deal with all of that other stuff and i think we can't just allow well they've stayed up they've done the bare minimum that's fine that's enough we can do this again because we can't we can't have this you the the players can't go through that again that's not fair on them they're having to literally complain to the board for the bare minimum carla ward certainly won't be having that again um clubs uh, will have an eye on her though won't they there's there's plenty of vacancies around mm-hmm. that um, I'm pretty sure she will be heavily linked with, and I think we just don't want to have this groundhog day situation where where every game there's every game you know every season there's this narrative of our Birmingham City going to be able to stay in the league you know we we want that professionalism and that level of. The clubs are all competing at a fair footing, I suppose, and it just feels like Birmingham haven't been this season because they've had so much other stuff to contend with.
4: Mm, and another team who have been underwhelming this season, I think it's fair to say, are Aston Villa. Bit more drama there as well today. To keep us up to date, Molly.
8: It's a bit like a managerial merry-go-round there. Um, obviously, Marcus Bigno came in to essentially do the job of, of keeping them up, um, and he has done that and has now left but also the the manager that was in charge that stayed as head coach I believe Gemma Davis uh, has now also gone um, which I think is a surprise to many people actually because Gemma Davis did a really good job in getting Aston Villa into the Women's Super League and mm-hmm. she's a really talented young manager um, and it's a shame that kind of Marcus came in and and did what he did and you know that that's credit to him for keeping them up but it does feel as though Gemma Davis has been sort of maybe forgotten a little bit for for the job that she did to get them into the women's super league and i think it would be really interesting to see where they go with their next recruitment because with Leicester City coming in as well it it will be really competitive down there again
4: i would say with three paragraphs on their website small paragraphs by the way two of them just one line that that would be the case. I thought that was pretty poor, actually. And they might have more of a professional setup in terms of facilities, but communications-wise... I feel as if it's been a little bit poor from Aston Villa this season and I'm hoping that that's just because it's the first season they're in the WSL, they're getting themselves bedded in and we might see better from them next season. Uh, anyway, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. I'm Fay Carruthers with Molly Hudson from The Times. Next, we're wrapping up the rest of the WSL and reflecting on 50 years of the Women's FA Cup. Women's Football Weekly with Fay Carruthers on TalkSport2. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Rothers and Times football writer Molly Hudson. uh, Just. A little bit of housekeeping in the other game on Sunday. Manchester United beat Everton 2-0, but it wasn't enough to claim that third Champions League spot as Arsenal pipped them to it by just one point. Uh, very unlike Arsenal not to even be on the score sheets, which is uh, why Vivian Miedemar, how many goals behind Sam Kerr was she in the N3? Did she get 18 for the season, I think? Yeah. Putting you right on the spot there, Molly. You're saying yeah and not sounding convinced. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. 18-21. to 21. Anyway, um, on Sunday, the 9th of uh, May, it was exact. which was yesterday, it was exactly 50 years since the very first Women's FA Cup final back in 1971. Delighted that friend of the show, uh, journalist Chris Sleg is with us. He's authored a book on the Women's FA Cup. How you doing, Chris?
10: Yeah, good, thanks, bye.
4: Excellent. Tell us more about this book.
10: Yeah, obviously, um, I used to work with Patricia Gregory at the BBC. She's since retired, and I knew a bit of her backstory. She was one of those people who set up the Women's Football Association in 1969 and and put the pressure on the FA to overturn that 50-year ban on women playing. And they created the the Women's FA Cup, the MITRE Challenge Trophy, as it was then known. And and, um, it just occurred to me a couple of years back that we were approaching the 50th anniversary, and it would be great to play a part in uncovering the history because... You know, I grew up with all those iconic moments from the Men's FA Cup final that are just kind of seared into my memory, ingrained in my memory. And and that's where my love for the game was almost fostered from that. That round-the-clock coverage on the BBC all day, all week, really building up to the Men's FA Cup finals. And I just thought, we know so little about even the even the recent ones, really, because the, the, even the recent ones don't get the publicity they should, perhaps. Uh, but certainly back in the day, those those moments that would have been iconic were just maybe briefly shown and then hidden away forever so I, I went to Pat and um, asked her for pretty much everything she still had all the all the old newsletters and together we set about um, drawing up the history and putting it into this book a history of the women's FA Cup final which has just come out
4: brilliant I'm really looking forward to, to reading it actually because you found records that have been hidden away for for decades as well what kind of stuff have you uncovered
10: Yeah, I mean, for the first time, we've been able to confirm every goal scorer in a Women's FA Cup final. And I'm really pleased that within a few days of the book coming out, um, all those gaps on Wikipedia have been filled in. I don't know how the Wikipedia magic works. I assume there's like little robots or something that go around. But um, there were so many gaps there. and, And Patricia put me in touch with all of the so many of the players and some of the clubs that still exist, although a lot of them have gone by the wayside. Um, journalists who are around, people like Gail Newsham, who has been so helpful. I mean, so many people have been helpful. It's been a massive team effort, uh, journalists and and authors who have done their own stuff, who have helped. It's been a piecemeal approach, anything we can find anywhere. Um, But just to have that that list of scorers is is, is a starting point. We've got a lot of the teams confirmed, but I fear that some of those in the 70s and and perhaps 80s won't ever be completely confirmed because although we've got uh, the match program with the likely lineup, we haven't necessarily found out who actually started on the day and even looking at the british newspaper archives a lot of the the reports didn't actually list the team so um, we are definitely as complete and as accurate as we can be at this moment but anyone out there who knows anything at all who might have kept anything please do uh, get in touch Uh, wfa cup history on twitter um, because i'm sure we can complete and amend and update future editions and, and make them an even more wholesome tribute Um, to the players and managers of the past.
4: Oh, We just have to make up for it now, don't we? And and make sure that all those players uh, from back in those days know that everything that they fought for was well worth it. Chris, always great talking to you. Take care. Good luck with the book.
10: Take
4: care. Thanks so much. Um, in terms of the FA Cup as well, because the season's not quite over, it might be league-wise, but certainly not FA Cup-wise because we've got the, the fifth round before the season properly ends. Um, so we've got Brighton against Huddersfield, Blackburn against Charlton, Manchester United against Leicester, Birmingham face Southampton, Manchester City face West Ham, as Gareth Taylor told us earlier, Tottenham face Sheffield United. We'll be speaking to Courtney Sweetman-Kirk about that shortly. And Arsenal women face Crystal Palace, which we'll talk. As well to Chloe Morgan, about who also joins us very shortly. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Others with Molly Hudson. Chloe and uh, Courtney joining us soon, and we'll be discussing the championship season, the winners and losers, and who's going to be pushing for promotion next season. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Carruthers, Molly Hudson from The Times and Crystal Palace goalkeeper Chloe Morgan joining us for the rest of the show. How are you doing, Chloe? Yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. Very well. Also, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk of Sheffield United and TalkSport fame, of course, is with us too. How are you doing, Courtney? I'm very well. After that introduction, I like that. Yeah, nice. I've got got loads (laughs) of them in my back pocket. Don't you worry. Uh, Right, we're talking championship because the season ended last weekend, of course, with Leicester lifting the trophy at the King Power Stadium. London Bees relegated to the FA Women's National League. Uh, How are we thinking, both of you, that Leicester are going to fare in the WSL next season? We'll start with you, Chloe. Chloe.
6: Um, I mean, I think given the form that they've had this season, I, th- I think they're going to go in there and they're going to want to challenge and they, they're going to want to stay up. And And I think that's been something that, that's been, I suppose the bar's been set quite high by, by Tottenham, by Aston Villa, by Man United, all, all sort of transitioning from the championship up to the WSL and, and staying there. So um, I think for Leicester, I think that's going to be absolutely key for them. And I'm already hearing sort of rumours of, of, of big signings and things like that. So I think they're trying to strengthen the squad to, to make themselves in, in the best position possible to, to really go out there and, and be challengers.
4: They certainly look, Courtney, as if they're the real deal. And, you know, Aston Villa perhaps a little bit disappointing after they were promoted last season. But but do you think Leicester are going to fare better?
7: Um, I think it's going to be difficult, the, the same as Chloe heard a few rumours about the signings. But I think, you know, you've you've got to look at Villa and, the, the players that they took up with them in terms of WSL1 experience, international experience, probably more experience than that Leicester team. Um, so I think it's always difficult. And now year on year, the Super League is so, so competitive. But, you know, in terms of the training ground, the facilities they've got, they've they've got everything. But I think, you know, Man United that year really did set the bar because arguably they, the way that they did it, they had a WSL1 ready squad. And I think then when you... You you know, with Leicester now they've got to go up they've got to get players in there's time for you've got to give time to bed those players in Um, again a a sort of experience in Jonathan Morgan a a fantastic manager but not had that experience at at that level so I think it's going to be very difficult I do think they'll stay up Um, but yeah I think now I just think in general the Super League is so so competitive and year on year it's getting more difficult for those teams that that do go up but they've got all the tools to, to stay up for sure
4: I don't know if either of you heard Gareth Taylor, the Manchester City boss's interview with us earlier on today. Uh, he was saying he believes the WSL needs to expand in order to make it even more competitive. What do you think and how many teams should it expand to? And and how do those teams get, get decided to, to be in there, Chloe? I
6: think I think it's completely
4: right. I think we've got to a
6: situation now where there are so many clubs who would benefit from the exposure of being in the WSL. but I think like like Courtney was saying, I mean, we're, we're now starting to attract talent from you know, in big international talent from, from all over, from you know, the US, from Australia. We've got massive, massive names coming to the WSL. And and I think it's always going to be difficult for, for any club transitioning from championship to, to WSL because the step-up is is so huge. But I do think it's right that those clubs are starting to now be given more of an opportunity. I think you know, we've only got 11, 12 teams in, in the WSL and in the championship. And I think the more opportunity you give for these clubs to step up into the, into the higher leagues, the more exposure they get, you know, they're going to benefit from the big commercial deals that are happening now with the WSL. And and I think that can only be a great thing for for more teams to to have that opportunity, but, you know, it is, it is a challenge. And and what you don't want, I suppose, is for teams to then go up and, you know, to get sort of, you know, quite silly results, I suppose, where you start getting maybe 10 or 11 Mm. nils and and things like that, because that's just not helpful for the image of, of women's football either. But I think um I, I think he's right. I think the time is 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 sort of ripe for, you know, more more clubs to, to be going up there and starting to challenge and, and seeing what they can do to, to improve their situation so they are better
4: challengers. Obviously not gonna happen in time in time for next season, but who would you say Courtney is is in inverted commas W S L ready?
7: Um you know, it's hard to say because it changes year on year with with the backing certain clubs get. And again, I think we're looking at the championship. It's so competitive. Um, I think there are clubs that are looking to to go full time or maybe a hybrid model and add add more hours to 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 you know to their input every week because they've seen with clubs like Leicester how much you know difference that does make. So I think you know Liverpool. Um, you know, if they get a, a new manager in, and, and they're definitely in with a shout. Um, and I think there's, there's any club, there's you know, Palace where um, Chloe is. I've, I've heard I've heard a few rumours. So I think that the most important thing is the backing within the clubs. And as you say, you don't want clubs to go up and, and get silly results. And you, you look at the WSL now, especially with the broadcast deals. And I, and I say this with my broadcaster hat on. Um, and I don't really like the term rather than the player hat, but that it will make a better product Mm. um, if there are more teams in the league competing. And, you know, we can't be shy about it. At the end of the day, yes, it's football, but it's a business as well. So, so, you know, I think the original broadcast deal is three years at the moment for us to extend that. um, It's got to be an exciting product. And for me, we have to add teams into that. And unfortunately, you know, money makes the world go round. So nine times out of 10, the clubs that invest the most um, will get the most out of it. So whichever men's team is maybe, you know, willing to put a bit more into their women's team will be able to compete at that level.
4: And it's interesting you say that because the, the Charlton owner, Thomas Sangard, for example, has said that he wants to make Charlton uh, professional. Of co- they've, of course, got somebody who's been through that process with, with Tottenham and Karen Hills in charge of them. And she's made a real difference already because they were languishing near the bottom and have managed to survive quite comfortably in the end, taking them up to eighth place and I think that's what you need isn't it Chloe is is progressive owners who've got the money who can see the potential going forward because we are at an exciting time at the moment and there are going to be championship clubs that will fall by the wayside if they don't kind of keep up and and try to to, to push themselves a bit further. Absolutely I mean
6: I I couldn't agree more I think it's no coincidence that teams who have you know, the backing of, of the main clubs, the, the financial backing, the, the facilities, the resources, the, you know, the, the dietitians, the strength and conditioning coaches, all those kind of things that go on behind the scenes, all that sort of plays such a massive part in the performance of, of the squad. And not only just in performance terms, but also, I think, in how the players actually feel and the confidence that, that they feel, that they, they feel supported by the main clubs. And I think that's absolutely massive to know that you have that backing. But I think, you know, when you look at the kind of teams that, that are going up into the WSL The Leicester Cities, the um, you know the the Tottenhams and and the Aston Villas, who all have that massive Premier League backing, those are the clubs that that are going to be the ones that are going to go to WSL, and then you start to see you know clubs like Bristol City, unfortunately, who don't have the same kind of backing and and probably not the same level of financial investment and and resources that those clubs have, starting to fall further down the the table and 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 enter into the Championship. So, you know, I I I do think it's like Courtney was saying that you know money doesn't make the world go around and and I think especially where you've got a product like, like women's football, it's, it's so crucial to, to have that investment there and to, and to pay players properly and to, and to make sure they're well supported and they've got everything they need to go out into that pitch and, and give the best performance because you know, that, that's key. Winning games is, is absolutely key.
4: What we don't want, though, is a situation where a club like Durham, who have been consistently winning games and have been f- fantastic all season, finished second, eight points behind Leicester. But, you know, just a, a couple of months ago, were are level, were are pushing them all the way. We don't want to see clubs like that fall by the wayside, who are run really well, who do fantastic things on the pitch as well. Lewis FC, another one. So it's still got to be competitive for for teams that don't have a Premier League or Championship club backing them. Sorry, that's for Courtney. I've forgotten. Neither of you are sat in front of me so you can't see who I'm looking at.
7: No, I think there's, there's got to be that balance. And you know what? If we wanted to go solely on money, we'd run a franchise. And, and we know that they'd probably go down like a lead blue. Oh, yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's important that it, it's worked on competitiveness and, and winning, because at the end of the day, you should be rewarded for winning. Um, and I think it's just important the way that clubs are running. As you say, your Lewises and your Durhams, they are ran very well so we we can't you know they're outliers but we can't leave them um, to it as it were I think it's important if, if they've got the you know the, the on the pitch um, happening and the same at, at the back then it's got to be done I think you know I think Yeovil in recent times is one to look at but you know unfortunately they didn't have the the backing you know financially and I was in a similar situation with with Donny Bell's, where we're meant to be going, sort of full time, we're meant to have this big facility built, and it never happened. So, you know, there's two sides to every coin, and it, it it's got to be right. The off-field stuff has got to be right because at the end of the day, this is maybe slightly different to men's football, where you know they'll go to another club and it's fine. Whereas nine times out of ten, this is girls' livelihoods, and they give up maybe mm. good careers and good jobs to be there. So, the, the both sides of it have got to be right, but we can't lose that that competitive. Element For sure. And just something Chloe was saying, I want to go back to that and remind me of something Emma Hayes said about how they're made to feel. I think that's so important that how, you know, the women's team are made to feel within the club. And Emma Emma Hayes was saying yesterday, it's not just about the money that they've been given, but the way they've they've been treated, the resources that they've got access to and the marketing and and just the way they're, you know, they're made to feel as as Chelsea, not just Chelsea women. Yeah, a respect of they are Chelsea. I think Man City, again, do that very well. And, and, and that's something that's improved through the years. And yeah, the way that you're made to feel within the club as a player, for me, is so important.
4: Yeah, it really is. And I, look, I don't want to put you on the spot with this because I know you're in an awkward uh, position. But in terms of Sheffield United, obviously, uh, with the men's team being relegated, how much of an impact is that likely to, to, to have on the women's team for next season?
7: Um, I don't think much will, will change, to be honest. I think, you know, it, it'd be great if we could add more hours, but that's, you know, still by the by and something that, that, to be decided. And I think, you know, we can't get away from it. And I've, I've had both sides of the coin where I've been full-time and also part-time. and You cannot replicate that time on the pitch when you're full-time. There's, there's, you know, there's no way of getting about it. And, you know, Sheffield United, it's fantastically run- Club with with great people, a great you know we've got the good facilities there as well. Um, but you know there is no substitute for those hours. So I think that's always something again in women's football that you're always potentially looking over your shoulder because you think well if the men aren't doing very well or if, if if something happens on their side then you're always worrying. But not much will change for us. And I think again we're a club that sort of ran by our means and and because the way that the men's are run as well. It's never been a, a massive cash rich club. So um, yeah, for us no, nothing much changes. So. Still excited and, and looking forward to next season. Excellent. I
4: hope you're also looking forward to next Sunday. Courtney's going to be part of our Champions League women's final coverage, which is going to be live on Talk Sport alongside Farrah Williams and Sam Matterface as well. We'll be on the main Talk Sport station from seven o'clock with all the build up and uh, commentary from the live match at eight o'clock. Very much looking forward to that. And also, Courtney, I'm on holiday next week and you and producer Flo are going to be sitting in the hot seat. I'm very much looking forward forward to listening to that i hope you're looking forward to it
7: i'm very excited although filling filling your very capable boots or definitely a big job but i'm, I'm definitely up for the challenge oh no, you'll smash it both of you i have absolutely no doubt at
4: all speak to you in the week courtney take care cheers thank you lovely stuff right chloe's staying with us for the rest of the show this is women's football weekly on talk sport 2. i'm Faker Others. molly hudson's with me as well uh, next we're going to be previewing that Women's Champions League final, which, as I said, we have live commentary of. We'll also have a Women's Football Weekly Champions League special next Monday, as I said, with Courtney and Flo Lloyd Hughes, too. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. I'm Faker Others, and keeping you company with me is Chloe Morgan of Crystal Palace and Molly Hudson of The Times. Now then, On Sunday, you might have heard Chelsea are going to be playing Barcelona in the final of the Women's Champions League. And by the way, you can listen to live commentary on TalkSport. Build up from 7, live coverage from 8pm. Before we take a look at how Chelsea are going to fare on Sunday night, I want to take a look at their opponents because we don't get to talk European football very often on Women's Football Weekly because we tend to only have an hour, even though we've got an extended two hours today, to dissect exactly what we want. This is why... So that we can speak to somebody like Alex Ibaceta, a women's football journalist who knows much more about uh, Barcelona than we do. How are you doing, Alex? Hi, say, how are you? We're very, very well, thank you. Now, listen, yesterday, obviously, Barcelona wrapped up their title win. They've still got five domestic fixtures to play, though, because of COVID-related delays throughout the season. So it's going to be a busy turnaround for them. And I suppose is that going to impact their preparations in any way?
1: I I honestly don't think so because I think at the moment, you know, they won the league yesterday. They're they're kinda in this this trance um of confidence and happiness to be fair and, and they don't have a game until Sunday. So I think they ha- they actually do have the luxury of just fully focusing on this match on Sunday and kinda just taking the league um game by game after that.
4: So they've obviously been to the final before. They lost 4-1 to, to Leon in the 2019 final. We've known for a while since the semifinals that we're going to get a different winner, somebody breaking the Leon Lyon um, a stranglehold on this competition. Arda Hegerberg got a first-half hat-trick uh, in that one, though. And like Chelsea, they beat Bayern Munich in the semifinals that season. Uh, Chelsea had lost 3-2 to, to, to Leon, But what Barcelona team can we expect to see on Sunday?
1: you're going to see a Barcelona team who has been fired up since that 4-1 loss against Lyon. Um, you see every interview that they do, um, everything is focused on winning the Champions League, very similar to Chelsea, obviously. And um, as you mentioned there, you know, Barcelona have been to a final before. So psychologically, it's a bit different for both sides. Um, Chelsea, you know, this is the first final. It's, it's it's tough to say that it's not going to be as bad as if they lose. Um, you know, they've got to the final, they've got here. And whereas Barcelona have gotten here before and they lost. So they kind of know the feeling of of losing that Champions League final and want to revenge themselves from that Lyon final. Um, so I think it's going to be very two different approaches to this. Um, but I think, you know, a sh- very, very strong Barcelona side Though they do have Andrea Pereira, who is their usual centre-back, playing against Papi León, who is suspended for the final. So that brings in an unfortunate uh, problem when it comes to formations and tactics. Um, Most likely you're going to see Patri Guijaro getting dragged out from the midfield and put into that centre-back position, which then loses the dynamic of that midfield, which is one of their biggest um, strengths. So you're still going to see a very strong Barcelona side. Maybe not the strongest Barcelona, Barcelona side that you can imagine, but it's definitely going to be a matchup for Chelsea. I think both teams have very, very different um, strengths and weaknesses, and they can potentially harm each other. So it's definitely going to be a matchup to watch.
8: And Emma Hayes, I think, predicted last season. She she told us the other day that that Barcelona were going to be the team that Chelsea would face if they got to the final. And we've seen the the Spanish women's national team really improve in, in recent years. Is is there is Barcelona reaching the final or a reflection of that improvement in, in Spanish women's football? Obviously, we've seen Atletico Madrid as well really compete with, with English English teams over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a big testament to the Spanish national team. Um, I think in the last couple of games, I think at least eight out of the 11 players on the pitch for the Spanish national team were from Barcelona. So I think Barcelona is tied hand in hand with the growth of the Spanish national team, who I think is a really strong contender, uh, contender for the Euros next year, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but definitely, you know, the Spanish league itself, it has gotten really competitive. You know, a team like Levante has gotten themselves to second place at the moment. You know, they're going to be in the Champions League next year. And so I think the Spanish league in general has definitely grown a lot. And, you know, Barcelona, they are 26 wins in 26 league matches. And that perhaps, you know, you, you sway to that opinion that, oh, the league isn't competitive, but... The reality is that after you know last year Barcelona won the game and um, the league because of COVID, but before that they hadn't won the league in four years. So the Spanish league itself has been growing and it's been competitive, and Barcelona has taken that and kind of progressed themselves. And the team that they that the team that they are right now, um, it's a lot of graduates from the academy. Uh, so I think Spanish football has has taken that step forward and are definitely one of the best leagues in the world right now.
8: And you mentioned there those 26 wins in 26 games. Both Barcelona and Chelsea are very used to being heavy favorites going into pretty much every game they play. How do you think that will affect both of the teams on Sunday?
1: I think I think Chelsea are, are, and, and Barcelona are head to head in the fact that yeah they are, you know, favorites and they're they're big in their respective leagues, but when it comes to European you know, competition, they're not favourites. You know, they're, you had, you know, the German sides Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg who are more familiar with the competition than, than Chelsea and Barcelona are. And then obviously you have Lyon, uh, you had PSG who beat Lyon, and obviously they were kind of big contenders for that. But I think Chelsea and Barcelona are favourites respectively and domestically. But when it comes to, to European competition, I think they're both, uh, I think they're both underdogs for a lack of a better word, but I think it's it's a really good matchup. I think they're as even as can be. You know, both are having amazing seasons. And both have not that much experience in the Champions League final, so I think it's it's pretty even on that aspect.
4: So I'm wondering whether they might have the psychological edge after knocking out uh, Leon three two in the semi final. But if you were going to put your money on it, Alex, obviously you watch more of Barcelona. We watch more of Chelsea. Who are you going for?
1: Uh, I can't. I've been avoiding it because I don't want to jinx it. But you know, I am. I am fairly confident that, that Barcelona can can get away with it. And obviously, you know, as I mentioned, that these two teams are so close together that there's no calling it. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, it, it hurts me to say, but I think yeah, Barcelona have a good uh, opportunity to take it
4: okay listen we might well play that back to you next week on our Champions League special <laughs> on Women's Football Weekly with Flo Lloyd-Hughes and Courtney Swingman-Kirk Alex That's a pleasure to chat to you take care and enjoy the final thank you, you too. brilliant stuff Alex Ibaceta, a Spanish women's football expert there you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 I'm Faker alongside Chloe Morgan and Molly Hudson uh, next we're going to be focusing on Chelsea's preparations for the Champions League final this is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Carruthers. Chloe Morgan and Molly Hudson are with me today in this two-hour special. Yes, that's right. We have been on since 6 o'clock. It's now 7.30, unless you're listening on the podcast, in which case you'll have no concept of time whatsoever and won't really care. You'll have just been walking along and thinking, Oh, I've had a little bit more than I usually get. Lucky me. Hopefully, you'll be thinking that anyway. Uh, Right, let's take a look at Chelsea, shall we? Ahead of the Champions League final, which is live on TalkSport on Sunday night. This is the first time, Molly, they've ever reached the final. No English team has won the European title since Arsenal in 2007. It's a fantastic achievement. They more than deserve it. But are they going to win it? Let's hear from the woman herself, shall we? The woman of the moment, if you like, because earlier on, uh, producer Flo caught up with Emma Hayes to talk about her team's success this season
2: and exactly how those preparations are going as well. Um, they're, They're amazing, all of them. They really are, in not just the commitments they've made to the team this whole season on the pitch, but I think the way they've looked after each other off of it um, especially those players that haven't been able to go home and those that have been living by themselves. I think it's been particularly difficult for them. Uh, the spirit is... I've always felt it's been good at Chelsea, but this season, I think it's been the determination on another level about what we can achieve. And winning the league and the County Cup and the Community Shield so far, far validates that. Um, and I think, you know, the am asking for another huge push this week. Uh, in what will be an amazing opportunity for us to become Champions of Europe.
5: Yeah, and looking ahead to Sunday, what are the preparations like now? What have you been focusing on from sort of last night once that celebration was done from now on?
2: We're just sorting out the circular tactics that are <laughs> important for us in that part of the pitch and then...
5: The Flying V formation.
2: Yeah, yeah. Some interesting bits we need to do. And if we get those things right, we'll win at the weekend.
5: And any particular feelings, I guess, ahead of that in terms of nerves, excitement, pressure? Are you going into it just, you know, this is our one shot and no expectations? Or what's the pressure that you're putting in yourself, I guess, as well?
2: None. It's the same as it is every week. Like, we expect to win. That doesn't matter if it's the Champions League final or a uh, final game of the season. Everything's a cup final for us. So we train like it's the Champions League every day. So... Uh, it's, got, it's going to be no different to what we've experienced all year. Um, we just know we're exactly where we want to be. Now that's that's the, the, the best thing about it. You know, we can't wait because we've earned it. We're the best team in England. Now we've got to go and show why we're the best team in Europe.
5: I saw Barcelona won the title yesterday. They were in a swimming pool after their celebrations, which probably does beat King's Meadow just slightly. But they've actually got five games to play still in their domestic division. Do you think that's a bit of an advantage for you guys?
2: Nah, no, not so ever. Like I said, I think our league is the toughest league in the world. So we've had the best preparation possible going into that game because the last six weeks, every single game has been a cup final for us.
5: And have you been keeping an eye on them in these preparations? Have you had a scout at all at any of their games? Obviously, I know with COVID it's probably quite difficult, but remotely anyway, how have you been preparing to come up against them?
2: Honestly, we do we do the same every week, and it's a comprehensive analysis that involves multifaceted uh, teams um, behind the scenes that will be uh, providing the objective analysis that uh, will allow for the coaching staff to formulate the game plan. And that happens with every opponent, so it's no different for Barca than it would be for Reading.
4: Absolutely love listening to to Emma Hayes and producer Flo has just told me that when she uh, mentioned the swimming pool scenario with Barcelona players, where if you watch some of the uh, Chelsea celebrations that were put up on Instagram, it perhaps looks as if they're in some kind of village hall or something and the Barcelona players are in swimming pool. She made a bit of a face. She looked a bit gutted about it.
8: (laughs) Swimming pool celebrations, Molly Hudson. I think we're all a bit gutted. We're not on a swimming pool in Spain, aren't we? (laughs) Oh Yeah, definitely.
4: Chloe Morgan with us. Um, absolutely. I mean, if I could, I absolutely would. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that would be so lovely, wouldn't it? Um, it's quite important, Molly, we mentioned this in the break, didn't we, to to talk about the influence of Captain Magdalena Eriksson. And she was obviously missing in the first leg um, of the semi final. A huge miss in the end. They ended up losing that game and had it all to do at, at King's Meadow. She comes back for that second leg and they just look like themselves again.
8: I think it's definitely a case of you don't quite realise how crucial she is to that Chelsea team until she wasn't in it. And I think she's one of those players that makes those around her better. If you look at the partnership with Millie Bright, we've seen, you know, sometimes, and Millie will will say this herself, sometimes she hasn't played her best football for England. And you look back and you realise, actually, what's missing? It's Magda. The Magda-Millie combination that we see thriving at Chelsea um, and I think as soon as Magda came back into that that team in that second leg, the, we we was on our way to the stadium with another journalist, and we said saw Magda's name on the team sheet, and you thought Chelsea can do this. And I think for me, particularly against a Barcelona team that we know will have a lot of chances, a lot of the ball, they're very used to that. Having Magda on that team sheet is for me as important or if not more important than it is for, you know, Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby because there's such an array of attacking talent at Chelsea, whereas Magda is such a huge miss when she isn't playing.
4: I have to say, though, that combination between the two of them nearly went desperately wrong because Magdalena Eriksson took the trophy up to lift it, shared it with Millie Bright and the pair of them, it was a bit wibbly wobbly. I thought it was going down at some point.
8: Maybe it's because they, they always say on the pitch they don't even need to communicate. They're so on the same page. So maybe that was a the time they did need to.
4: <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's important to talk about that centre-back pairing, Chloe, uh, and the importance of that for, from a goalkeeper's perspective as well. You you have to say that's part of the reason that Anne Catherine Berger won the, the Golden Glove this season, really, is the centre-backs in front of her. But we have to really talk about the partnership that is Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby which we discussed earlier on in the show in terms of what they did against Reading completely dismantling them on Sunday on the final game of the season but they're going to be absolutely crucial and such a handful and you would expect Barcelona to really be doing their homework on them. Agreed I think Barcelona
6: are going to see them as their absolute main main threats I mean that they can't not I mean the link-up has been talked about around the world pretty much since it first started and and you can see why, because the assists that they both have, they, they just seem to just read each other and it just seems to be kind of this effortless um, relationship that they both have. And 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 it's absolutely no coincidence at all that, that Sam Kerr is now you know, the golden boot winner. And But you look at them as, a, as an attacking pair and, and, and they're a threat up top. And then obviously, you know, we were just discussing that Millie Bright and, and Magdalena Eriksson at the back and then with the added combo as, as, all, as well as having the uh, the golden glove with Anne Katrin Berger and You know, from a goalkeeper perspective, she's just had a phenomenal season. I mean, some of the saves that she was putting out against um, Man City in in, in the recent games, you just think that that's world class. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, in men's football, women's football, you know, whatever, at whatever level that that is phenomenal. So you know, I think it's it's definitely going to be a, a, a it's going to be a brilliant game to watch. I just I can't I can't even get my words out. I'm so excited about just watching it. And watch. down and just surely you're going to be listening to our
4: live commentary on Talk Sport, Chloe. Oh, I'll
6: have the I'll have the, the every screen going, every device will be going for this game. I'll I'll have the radio on. I'll have the yeah I will have the, the TV on, mobile phone going, everything's on.
4: <laughs> so listen, Emma Hayes doesn't want to talk about the quadruple just yet, but. They're halfway there. Come on, Molly. It, are they going to do it?
8: I think if they win the Champions League, then yes. That's is that a strong statement? I don't know. I think it, it's because an. They've got to do all four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they've done two, three. Yeah, they're nearly there. I think the is a, It's a really strange one because. As incredible as a quadruple is, the the fact that the Women's FA Cup, obviously we're expecting it officially to be announced, but we understand it will be next season, the final. It it does feel as though it will be quite disjointed. They've got three quarters of their quadruples and they've got to kind of hang around for the other part. We're
4: used to that though, aren't we? Two years of disjointed we've had, haven't we, basically?
8: Exactly, but I I just think if they if they win the Champions League, that you can't imagine a team going into a new season with with more confidence than than a team that's that's won everything available domestically.
4: It's a real statement, though, Chloe, if they could do this against Barcelona, when Leon and Wolfsburg have been so dominant for so long, and all the changes that are coming into the Barclays F A W S L. At the moment, the money that's coming into the game, the players that will inevitably come into the game as a result of that, it would be an enormous statement for English football. I think it
6: would be exactly that. I think it would just be that kind of crown jewel of, of saying that, you know, we are here. The WSL is, is here. And I think people have already you know started to comment that it's the best league in the world. And I know, you know, obviously people will probably dispute that and still say, you know, that you, you look at some of the, the Spanish league and the, the German league and, and you know, the, the US have always been strong contenders for, for being the best women's football league in the world. But I think when you start to look at the, the talent that, that WSL have attracted in the past couple of years and the big commercial opportunities that, that now the WSL has attracted in and the audiences that, that, that that's going to reach, I just think, you know, for, for an English club to be able to pick up, you know, the European title, I think would be absolutely huge in saying, you know what? I think we 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 could possibly be the best.
4: Yeah. Wow, it would be amazing. I'm just, listen, can't plug this enough. I'm absolutely delighted that TalkSport have the live commentary of the Women's Champions League final. It's on Sunday. I'll be building up to the game from seven o'clock. I'll be joined by Courtney Sweetman Kirk, Farrell Williams, and our match commentator, Sam Matterface, and they'll be bringing you full commentary of the game kicking off at eight o'clock. And of course, we wish Chelsea the very best of luck with that. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers alongside Chloe Morgan and Molly Molly. Molly Hudson. And next, we're going to be chatting about some of the other women's football stories from the past week. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talksport. I'm Faker Rothers alongside Crystal Palace goalkeeper Chloe Morgan and Molly Hudson from The Times as well. Now then, let's wrap up a few of the stories that were around. Let's start with transfers, shall we? Because a uh, friend of the show, Tom Gary of the of the Telegraph, Boo, says Molly from the corner. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, has been tweeting. He's been told that Arsenal are closing in on the signing of Japan's Mana Iwabuchi. The World Cup winner, of course, has been at Aston Villa since Christmas. Absolutely fabulous footballer. But apparently likely to replace Jill Rawd, who joined Wolfsburg today from Arsenal. Interesting, Molly.
8: Yeah, I think Manet Uibuchi is somebody that I've been really enjoying watching in the Women's Super League. It was actually a, a brilliant acquisition for Baston Villa to to get her. And I know that Arsenal were very interested in her in the sort of 12 to 18 months before she went to Villa. And for one reason or another, with the pandemic, it didn't quite work out with timings. And I think it will be really nice to see her at Arsenal. She knows, you know, Vivian Miedemar very well. And I'm sure that she'll fit right into that team. But at the same time, it's a big loss for the Women's Super League that we've lost Jill Rod.
4: Yeah, I tell you what, there might be some Arsenal fans sad about this one as well, because former Wales manager Jane Ludlow says her passion's always been to work in youth development at the top of the women's game. And she was appointed as Girls Academy Technical Director at Manchester City, when maybe a few people would have thought she'd have ended up at Arsenal, Molly.
8: Yeah, obviously a, a former Arsenal player and obviously Jane Ludlow was also linked quite heavily with the West Ham job a, a couple of months ago before Ollie Harder got it. And I think we are in a period of women's football where when there are these vacant positions, there aren't always that established list of candidates maybe that we see in men's football that are always linked um, and I think certainly Jane Dudlow is one of those that is is always rumoured and linked with with a lot of these women's Super League jobs, but but now has got a, a really good opportunity in in such a brilliant setup at Manchester City.
4: By the way, earlier on when I read out all the fifth round matches uh, for the Vitality Women's FA Cup, I completely forgot about the Thursday match that is on because obviously Chelsea Women are in action uh, on the Sunday in the Champions League final, but they face Everton on the Thursday in the fifth round, and then the season is wrapped up. Finally, it feels like it's dragged on for quite a while now, doesn't it? Uh, For sure. Another really interesting story that was around, which I'm hoping you're going to shed some light on, Molly Hudson. And we're talking again internationally with former Scotland head coach Shelley Kerr being appointed as technical lead of England's How We Play coaching strategy. What's this all about?
8: Yeah, I think it's something that the FA have been really trying to develop. And I remember speaking to former England manager Phil Neville about how important it was how England played that it was it didn't matter and in in some senses who it is that was playing it's about having that England DNA and and you'll know from from watching Gareth Southgate's England men's team and also the the youth teams that are coming through on both the pathways the men's and the women's it's very important to have that England DNA and that attractive style of football and Kay Cossington has been doing lot of great work into that um, and Shelley Kerr will now report to her as, as part of her new role and I think it's it's an interesting one. It's it's one that maybe took me a little bit by surprise this week. Um, obviously Shelley Kerr, we know her from from her time w- with Scotland and obviously all sort of fell in love and then got a bit heartbroken with their Women's World Cup campaign. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's a really important role for England to have that DNA and to try and help as much as they can, the, the young Lionesses come through to be as best prepared as they can to, to go into that senior team.
4: This is this is no disrespect to, to Shelley Kerr in the slightest, but I'm wondering, bearing in mind what happened with Scotland at, at the World Cup, the fact that they haven't qualified for a for home Euros, I'm wondering whether in the back of her mind Shelley Kerr is thinking, OK, what can I take from this role to then potentially take back to Scotland at some point and, and progress the game up there?
8: Yeah, and I think it's also, to a certain extent, what has she got from those experiences Mm -hmm. with Scotland that she can then use? And, you know, she's keen to to use those experiences in order to mentor, you know, the the players come through. And I suppose as head coach, she's seen the other side of it. This is almost like the, the background stuff that you don't really see. But when you're a head coach and someone like Phil Neville or, you know, the new manager Serena Vigman coming in, you... This is very, very important to help you do your role to the best of your ability. And I suppose there's no better person to do that than somebody that has been sat in the shoes of of being a head coach. Listen,
4: it's been a pleasure. Two hours. Flown by as always. Molly Hudson, always a pleasure to chat to you. Enjoy the Champions League final. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Chloe Morgan, lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck against Arsenal next Sunday. Cheers. Thank you very much for having me. So listen, we have another packed show coming up for you next week. As I said, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk is going to be joining superstar producer Flo Lloyd-Hughes for a Champions League special Uh, Well, I'm on holiday, putting my feet up, sunning myself, probably not. It's a staycation. (laughs) But I will be listening. I will not be missing it. Uh, Thank you very much, though, to Emma Hayes and Katrin Berger, Gareth Taylor, Chris Sleg, Alex Ibiseta, Courtney Sweetman Kirk, Chloe Morgan, Molly Hudson, Producer Flo and most importantly all of you as ever for listening and don't forget if you do miss any of the show you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the
7: TalkSport app. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.